Welcome to another episode of the Ignited Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Jessica, your host, and I invite you to join in and listen to a conversation with an amazing entrepreneur who has leaned into their passion and is igniting their life and the life of others. Welcome to another episode of Ignited Entrepreneurs. Today I have with me Rail Bricker, the business excellent guy. Rail. Oh, welcome to the show. Good morning, Jessica. Right. You're in Australia, so it's your morning and my evening. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm coming to you from the future, so I can tell you what happens. Ooh, yeah. Let's make some bets. Help me make some <laughs> bets. <laughs> so, Rail, can you please tell everybody who you are and what you do? Okay, so my name's Rail Bricker. I'm a professional speaker, coach, and mentor here in Australia. I work with business leaders to create rich and robust cultures and business excellence in their organizations with measurable and profitable results. So that's, that's one hell of a mouthful, but um, one of my coaches made me work out what I do in one sentence. So there it is in one sentence. <laughs> and how often do you have to deliver that now? Oh, quite often, but it's actually sort of if you, you know, on my website, railbricker.com, it's there front and center on the website, but it, it would have taken, and, and it's an interesting thing. A lot of people, when you say to them, when you meet them the first time at a networking function and you say, what do you do? You, you visibly see, and you hear them take this deep breath in because you know that it's, they're going to talk for about the next 30 seconds trying to explain what they do and they haven't got it right. Uh, they can't explain what they do or they explain what they do by saying, I don't do this. Oh. And so one of my coaches was very clear on, on um, making me be able to say what I do in one sentence very clearly. Well, you've got it nailed. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So can you share like how you became the business excellence guy? So I'm, I've always been on stage. I mean, I, my late father uh, took me to Toastmasters when I was 14 and I kind of loved speaking and I was South African champion um, in, in when I was 20. And because of apartheid in South Africa, which is where I grew up, I wasn't allowed to compete internationally because a young white male was just not an acceptable representative of South Africa in the 80s. So my Toastmasters career came to an end, but the learning that I had up until that point was amazing and it stood me in good stead so went through you know ended up starting an education business in South Africa where my partner and I actually did all the lecturing and education for the first year or two until we had money to employ other people so being on stage all this time um, in came to Australia 22 years ago in 1999 and 2001, I ended up starting a financial services business. And in 2003, I was approached by a property sales organization to run a seminar for them, for people, you know, average mom and pop in the street saying to them, how do you build up a property portfolio uh, for your retirement? How do you build a retirement portfolio? And because I'd never been a banker and every other financier that they'd spoken to had retired from the bank or left the bank, and spoke in bank speak, and I spoke in human speak, um, they went, wow, like, thank you. That was great. Like, everyone understood what you said. Can you do a national roadshow for us? 
And so that was part of my speaking journey was that I started working with them. I mean, to date, we've done over a billion dollars. That's one billion Australian, which is about one billion Canadian <laughs> of mortgages for their clients. So, so it grew nicely. It grew, it, it grew, but I also spent a lot of time on stage. So my business has done 3 billion in mortgages, but 1 billion was done because I was on stage talking about things. The real turning point was in 2013, I ended up having two cardiac stents. I was 49. I decided to run a marathon after doing a season of triathlon. And I kept getting neck pain every time I trained for a marathon. And my doctor, my mother-in-law actually first, and then my doctor sent me for a few tests and they found out I had two blocked arteries. And that was a wake-up call at age 49. And it said to me, do what you're passionate about. And I was passionate about sharing my journey of entrepreneurship, two continents, a couple of listed companies along the way, success as an entrepreneur, failure as an entrepreneur. And so that changed and that became what I've done for the last seven years. So um, from about 2013, I started working on the journey to become a professional speaker. 2018, I published my book called Dive In which was, it coincided with 30 years since I'd been at business school. So the subtitle of the book is Lessons Learned Since Business School. And uh, yeah, I got my certified speaking professional and I spend my life, or pre-COVID, I used to spend my life traveling the world speaking. Now I do a lot of it uh, behind a microphone at a desk or actually in a standing studio that I've built. And that's the, uh, that's the journey to where I am today as a, as a speaker, mentor, and coach. Amazing. Like the, I love how it comes about. Like you're, you're on stage or you're doing something that you love. Somebody recognizes you and sees a gift that you have and approaches you. And then it takes you on to another journey. I love when I hear stuff like that. Oh, I think you're muted. my microphone back oh you're back now yes okay sorry in my mic i tapped the microphone and pulled the cable out i do apologize oh that's okay yeah <laughs> uh, right, i don't sorry. know if you heard what i said or not no but... i was busy fiddling with the microphone oh okay no problem <laughs> um yeah one of the things i like about what you said is just how you were doing something that you enjoyed you were and you were doing it in your own style right like you said that the, the gentleman with the mortgage company recognized that you speaking just normal human speak rather than banker speak is what actually, you know, made people want to buy. And I love that message because I think too often people try to be something in a situation instead of just being themselves and delivering their message. Yeah, absolutely. And also we, we tend to get caught up in what, we, what I call, you know, colloquially TLAs. And what are TLAs? They are three-letter acronyms. And so you, you and TLA is a three-letter acronym of a three-letter acronym. And uh, TLA, but, but the bankers tend to do that. You know, you, you'll, you'll meet an ex-banker and they'll talk about, um, you, know, uh, you know, LVR, loan-to-value ratio, right? And they'll, but they'll use these terms as if they are common speak and not, um, they won't use them like, 
explain to them to to people what they mean and and that was part of the success and and part of the success in the mortgage business was the ability to sit down with people with pen and paper and before we started recording you mentioned that you you know you like to write things down well you know i sat with pen and paper with clients for the last 20 years drawing pictures with colored pens um explaining to them how loans work and how mortgages work and so that brought it to a real sense for them. And it was a skill I managed to train all my team to do. And so all my team now use the same way of drawing pictures and communicating with clients that makes it simple for them to understand. I love that, you know, and I agree. I don't think enough people realize that when you try to make yourself sound important, you actually kind of lose people. It, it, it is about, I mean, I have, I have friends who, who use words that I have to go and look up in a dictionary and I'm fairly astute with a lot of things. And, and, and I go, was that word really necessary? Could you not have just kept it simple? And so even being on stage and as a professional speaker, um, I use a lot of body language. I use a lot of uh, body positioning on stage um, in order to convey a message that's beyond. And that's one of the frustrations of COVID and having done a lot of presentation and a lot of speaking from my studio, where yes, I'm standing and you're seeing me from waist up and you're getting a feel for the energy when I do that. But it's, it's still not the true being able to give the message across. And I think that's, that's what we're all hoping when the world finally opens up again, that we get back to face-to-face and warm bodies. I have to say, though, when you and I had our conversation um, preparing to do this interview, I did get to see you in your office where you have really done an amazing job of trying to, I would say, replicate as best you can that feeling. Standing studio, it has a couple cameras, it has a couple good microphones. Um, the, the key there is that I'm standing and that the, the main camera is, a, is not a webcam, it's actually a proper video camera that actually gives, um, for a technical term, a 4K signal, but it's a, a high definition um, video. But I also have a cool toy that I showed you from the studio, which is my glass wall, which is off a second camera where I can actually, instead of turning around on camera and having my back to the camera, I actually write on a glass wall between me and another camera. And so if I want to draw something up or explain something, I explain it in front of me as opposed to turning around and using a flip chart or whiteboard. And that's pretty cool. And it's a lot of fun when, when presenting. And it, it was a lot of fun actually getting the technology right. So I didn't see it as a chore. I saw it as a lot of fun actually putting technology together to be able to deliver my message, which is, you know, around building rich and robust cultures and business excellence. Well, and I think that alone demonstrates that level of excellence, you know, that you didn't just say, okay, we'll have to figure something out. You like took it to the next level. And I think that just shows your level of dedication to not only, you know, what you do for yourself, but, or what you teach, but also what you hold yourself to. You have to hold yourself accountable. Um, I mean, you know, people ask me why excellence. And so, because we can never be perfect. I mean, as much as we, we all think we're ever going to be, be going to be perfect, we can never be perfect. We can only be excellent. And excellent, by definition, is just showing up as the best version of yourself every day. 
And if the whole world showed up as the best versions of themselves every day, we'd be in a whole lot better place. And so that's philosophically how I look at it, is that if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. You don't have to set your standard to, you know, a, a great example is a friend of mine here, another professional speaker. His business has a full um, TV broadcast studio. So it has the full green background. It has, you know, the, the, the proper TV cameras, et cetera, multiple cameras, a full control room. Now, I'm not putting myself up against that standard because that's, you know, that's a $100,000 investment. But I'm saying I'm going to be the best that I can be to deliver for my clients at this point. And I think that's a really powerful message is I wrote down as a note, excellence versus perfect. And I think that's something that's really important for you know people to hear is that it's about just showing up the best you can, but not necessarily comparing to other people, not necessarily spinning your wheels and then not actually taking any action in that pursuit of perfection. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've, I've had speaker coaches help me make my speeches better, my keynote speeches better. But one of the things I've always done is been flamingly independent. And so I've made sure that the advice they've given me has still stayed true to my core, where I've seen others who are not as strong become clones of their coach. And I think that's wrong because they're trying to set themselves up to the wrong standard, basically. Oh, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier, too, about how you stepped on stage and spoke in your own language and how that worked for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and just, you know, you learn skills along the way. And so the interesting thing is just, just a, a crazy example is we, we, in our minds, see a journey. If we're looking at somebody, we see a journey in our minds from our left to our right, because that's the way we work. That's the way we write, etc. Well, the first time I, I kind of internalized that on stage, I was talking to people about the journey to building a property portfolio, but I used my left on stage and not their left. And so I started on the wrong side of the stage. And so it's little things that you learn and you're happy to laugh about afterwards. But so I walked over to what was my left on the stage and told them that's where the journey starts. And then I walked to the middle of the stage and I said, this is the, the, the growth phase. And then I walked to the right hand side of the stage and I said, this is the, you know, this is the retirement phase. And only afterwards when I watched the video, did I actually see that I'd reversed the order in their minds. In their minds, I should have started on, on what was their left of the stage. So you kind of learn these, 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 these tips as you go along that, that just make us better, make us show up better every time. Yeah, I agree. I think it's just so long as we are learning along the way, that's what's key. You know, so I'm currently president of Professional Speakers Australia. And, and I always say to our members, um, you know, this is in, in Western Australia, I'm president. And when we have our, our monthly events, I say to people, don't come and expect to go away with two hours worth of new knowledge, because we're all at different stages in our career expect to come away with some new knowledge from every time you come to an event. And if that's what you're getting, then you're really getting value for what you're doing. And I've had people go, Oh no, you know, I've heard that speaker before, so I'm not going to learn majorly new things from him. I said, well, yes, but you're going to learn something. And if we treat everything in our life like that, that every person we meet will teach us something to help us on the journey, 
it's a much better journey. Absolutely. Um, so one of the other things I was thinking of was we had talked before about creating an environment that makes it easy to buy. So considering your success selling from stage, like how do you do that? Okay, so so it it, it goes to a, it goes quite deep, and and so I'll take a sort of a couple of minutes to do that. But let's. So I work in the in the space of of the relationship between culture, leadership, and strategy, and I and I have different things that I I talk to people about and I coach people and I work with organizations on leadership on strategy and then together they they form this thing called culture and and if they all work beautifully you get a return on your culture and that's you know that's like the ultimate goal but when I talk about leadership specifically leadership is about being able to communicate great leaders in the world um, have really got the ability to communicate not because they're great orators. And I think that's where we, we see communication in the lines of the great orator, the great political politician who can stand up and deliver an amazing speech. That's not truly what makes leadership. That means they're a great orator. Leadership is about having a message that you deliver to people on an individual basis or as a group basis that really gets to their core of behavior and understanding. So, so what do we do in our leadership training? We've gone back to this thing called DISC, now D-I-S-C. When you mention it to a lot of people, they go, oh, not that old thing again. And I say, yes, it is that old thing again, because DISC has been around over 100 years and has actually proved itself time and time again as a great indicator of people's behavioral styles. The problem with something like DISC or any of the other um, behavioral tools is that three months later, people forget what they were, a high D, a high I, you know, it, it's irrelevant. So what we've done is we've made it simpler. The same way that I color-coded pictures of houses in talking to clients, we talk about the four DISC behaviors being dominance, influence, steadiness, and compliance as red, yellow, green, and blue. And so the red being the dominance and the I being the the, the yellow, etc. So when you're communicating with somebody, so firstly, if somebody is a high D or a high I, and you tell them they're a red yellow, they're more likely to remember that color combination much later on than they are to try and remember um, that they're a high D or high I or whatever the case may be. So that's the first thing is that, that we, we, we go through a process of people understanding their color. But then we switch it over and we say, right, when you're communicating, you might be a red or a yellow, and you're communicating with somebody who's a red, yellow, green, or blue, you don't communicate with them in the way you want to be communicated with. You communicate in the way they want to be communicated with. So what do I mean by that? So if I, if I was to summarize how you sell, and, and when I talk about selling, selling is, is anything we do. We could be at a work meeting and we are trying to convince other people in the room about our ideas, our, to, to accept our idea for a particular project or whatever it may be. The Reds want to know a quick answer. They want to know what's the price, and that's about it. Like what's the implication of the cost? The Yellows want to know what is the, what is the implication of this decision based on our team? Is it going to benefit our team? And team could be your family, could be your, your, your social network, or it could be your team at work. 
Greens are more concerned about one-to-one relationships. So, you know, is this decision going to benefit my long-term relationships? And they also need time to make a decision. Blues, on the other hand, are only about data. They want to know the the testimonials. They want the proof. and, And they want lots of time to make a decision. So when you look at those four colors, the problem is that only the reds, which make up about 11% of our world population, 11% you can sell to. And the problem we have, so most sales training courses, when you go on a sales training course, they tell you you're going to make 10 calls and be successful one out of 10. Well, they're not wrong because if you're using traditional selling techniques, you're only selling to the reds in our, in our population, which is about 10 or 11%. So what you do is you you work on a way of creating an environment that makes it easy for them to buy rather than selling. So when talking to a group where they're predominantly yellow or somebody who's predominantly yellow color, you talk to them about how this purchase or how this decision in the organization will be good for the team. If you're talking to somebody who's about who's a green you, you build a relationship. You don't sell them anything. You don't even talk to them about product. You talk to them about their wife, their, fa- their, their, their husband, their kids, their family, their, their social values. You know, you might even stray into understanding their political views, even though that's not politically correct today, because they want to build a relationship with you before you then tell them, by the way, this would be good for you. And they go, yeah, we've got a relationship. I'm happy with that. The blues, on the other hand, same thing. You have to give them time. You have to give them data. Let them go away and analyze it. Let them go and read the testimonials, the Google reviews, and then come back. And so that's how we create an environment that makes it easy for people to buy. Because, And this is, by the way, we we do a two-day sales training program based around what I've given you as a four-minute explanation. I hope that all made sense. It made perfect sense to me. My only question is, how do you know who you're okay. dealing with? So, so obviously, in an ideal world, everyone has a little colored dot on their name badge, and it's very easy, but that doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 again, part of the skill set that we teach is, is identifying. So, you know, in, you can go to, um, you know, classic reds. Um, Donald Trump is a classic red, okay, um, in terms of his behavior, his style. Um, Bill Clinton, I'm using American presidents just because they're that, you know, well-known. Bill Clinton, very well-known because of his big smile. I mean, he's always about fun. Yellows love having fun. Now, they, they, you know, they do say that he might have had too much fun whilst in office, but that's a completely different discussion. <laughs> Um, and then the color know, but, blue comes to mind. <laughs> yes, right. So he's, but he had a lot of fun, you know. And he's, all, if you look at most photos of Clinton, he is smiling. Obama um, is a classic green, and, and, and you see that in a lot of ways. And one of them is when you see Obama shake hands, he'll, and, and we had some Australian politicians who do the same thing. They shake hands with their right hand, obviously and then put their left hand on the other side of the person's hand that they're shaking with because they're building relationships, they're building closeness, they're building, you know, so that's a very green trait. Blue, um, there was a, a, a TV show many, many years ago. There was a, 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 the late Peter Falk played uh, Columbo in the TV show. 
And that's one of the classic examples of a blue that I can never find because Columbo used to walk in and interview somebody and then turn around with his hand on his eyebrow and go, just, just, just one more question for you. Just, just, just one more question. And that's a typically blue response is to just ask for more and more data, more and more information. And so we, you know, the, I've given you, we use handshakes You use the cars people drive the, you know, in, in COVID times, how they shook hands, how they waved at you. Um, the words they use, there's lots of different skills. And so part of it is identifying other people's colors or dominant colors. So, so yes. Yeah, so, and it then it means you suspend your own color and you talk to them in their color. So if you're selling from stage, I guess you almost have to speak in all four colors. Mm -hmm. So when you sell from stage, it's quite interesting. The traditional way that, that speaker coaches, and I have some great friends who are speaker coaches, they coach most people and they're not trying to sell from stage necessarily, but everyone is selling at some point in their lives. Um, they teach them, you know, you've got to have this powerful beginning and you've got to, you know, then have three or four points in the middle and then this conclusion. And that's a traditional structure. When you're doing a 45 minute or an hour keynote, you, you, you have a bit of a hero's journey that follows you through it. You have a hook, you have your compelling story, you have three points, etc. There, there's a structure to it. We take that to a different level, okay, in, in when we're talking about colors. So what we do is we say, you start off with a message that gets to the core of your reds in the room because they make quick decisions and they make them, and, and they're very vocal, all right? And so you, you start off with your red message and suddenly you'll have the red behavioral style people in the room nodding their heads. Now you've already got them on side. So now you move to your yellow message. So you talk about the price, the speed of delivery, and, 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 and so the amazing thing. So, you know, if you're selling travel in the days when everyone used to travel, you know, you'd tell them that they, they're going to Maui, uh, they can sit at the pool and order $10 cocktails and look at the sunset, right? That, that's all they want to know and how much is it going to cost for the trip. That, that's done. You then talk about, you know, to the yellows, you then talk about that same trip to Maui, but how many team activities there are and how many nice people they'll get to meet and they can go hiking with a group of people and then go and play volleyball in the afternoon, um, etc. Now the reds are going, oh, what's that got to do with me? So then you have to circle back and keep your reds on side because now your yellows are nodding because they've got it. They know about the team. You circle back and give your reds something to keep them interested. You tell them about the... Uh, yeah, pizza and beer special on a Tuesday, whatever. Right. And then you switch to your greens. Now, now you talk about, you know, the amazing people you've met traveling to Maui. And I'm just using that as a, as a weird example and how they've, you've built long-term relationships with them because you all shared the same common values about nature and, um, you know, saving the environment or something like that. Right. And so, you know, you've now got the greens on top because they're going, oh, yeah, I can go there and I can build relationships. Now you go back to your reds and your yellows and you give them something to keep them on side. And then you talk to your blues about the data, about what an amazing place it is, how many people live there. You know, you've got 100, you know, five-star Google reviews, etc. 
So now you've done exactly the your four points or three points that you've made have been specifically targeted the colors, and then you go into your conclusion and your your call to action, etc. At the end, but you've actually shown each one of those behaviors how they can benefit from all the same decision. That is beautiful. A lot more. Um... Yeah, so I mean, for somebody who's not a long-term speaker and just coming up with their keynote or whatever for the first time, now incorporating this in, I mean, that's a lot more work, but amazing if you if you can really learn how to work that in and cult and just create the whole journey right from scratch. I love it. Yeah, I mean, so there's you know, so that's a, a big stage technique, right? When you asked me earlier, when you meet someone one-on-one and and so, so, you know, you're in a sales call, right? You meet somebody and, and they talk to you and you say, well, what can I help you with? And they say, well, tell me about your business. Tell me about what you do. And so the way you can almost pull out of them what they're looking for is you actually say, well, people work with us for one of four reasons. They work with us because of our price or our speed or our teamwork or our relationships or our data, you know. And, and so you say, which one of those then, you give them each four sentences and you say, which one of those makes the most sense to you? Mm. And so they say, oh, because I love building long-term relationships with my suppliers. Well, now you know, they're predominantly green. And so then you switch your sales mode to a green mode where you talk to them about relationships and about long-term relationships with the clients and you don't sell to them. You just create the environment that they go, I have to deal with you. So, you know, that, again, that's, that's part of one of the, one of the uh, workshops that I run, um, which is, a, you know, for anything from a half day to a two day um, on selling in full color. That's beautiful. I love, you know, just that you're taking into everybody's language and, and needs and, and just really making sure everybody gets served. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, the, I mean, I'm, although I'm, I'm a dominant yellow and, 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 and a strong red, but I'm, 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 I'm my, I suppress my red because I hate being sold to. That's a personal view. But, you know, there are a lot of the people who are behaviorally red who love being sold to. They don't mind being sold to. And so, you know, you've got to just, cater for everybody and that that goes back to where we started this conversation which was about leadership right which was you know if you think about true leaders who you know there was a concept that came out in leadership magazines in the 70s and 80s and you know called management by walking around maybe even the 60s and I still do that in my own organization I've got 13 staff I'll walk around every day to everyone's desk and eyeball them and go, how are you? What you up to? But I know everyone's style. And so I'm communicating with everyone on a different level. So that's the leadership. That's where that skill comes in. I'm not trying to sell them anything. I'm trying to just make sure they're happy at work. And so part of it is that leadership skill is identifying people around you and knowing how to communicate with them. Yeah. And so one of the things that in my training that we do is we say that communication is the responsibility of the communicator. And so I love that that's what you're doing is you're making sure that your message gets through to people in a way that they can understand it. So you're taking responsibility for that message. Absolutely. And, and a classic, I do a lot of work in the real estate business. All right. And 
the, the typical realtor, when you walk into a house, they take a deep breath and they rattle off everything that that house is about, right? They, sit, they tell you all the data about that house without actually spending the first two minutes finding out what you really want. And if they ask their questions about what you really want in a particular way, they will know exactly what's important to you. And therefore, that's how they communicate with you. And so that's where, you know, I said great leaders aren't necessarily great orators, and they don't have to be. They just have to be great communicators. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, this is a great tool for learning just how to do that. Because so often it's like, you need to be a great communicator, but how, what tools do I use? How do I learn to do that? And I love how simple this is. And then by the way, you've put it into color. Again, it just, it's so much easier to remember that. And you can almost imagine people as colors when you're speaking to them. So I can see this being a really amazing tool. Well, I use, I use lots of different tools on stage. So I spoke at a conference two weeks ago and I got the group to self-sort, all right? Um, so self-sort, I wanted them to self-sort. There was a group of, of, of CPA accountants. So you kind of assume they're all going to end up in the blue corner, but they didn't actually. Um, but I used, I used doctor, quotes from Dr. Seuss, all right? Kid's book. I used a whole lot of Dr. Seuss quotes. And I said, if this quote resonates with you, then go off to that back corner over there or that back corner over there. And that's how I got them to self-sort. And then what I actually did was I asked each group to identify um, three leadership traits of, of great leaders. And that's how we sort of went into the leadership thing. But at the end of that same talk, in summarizing the colors, I used characters from the Simpsons cartoons and everyone could identify with those characters from the Simpsons and, and remembered that each one of them actually displayed a particular behavioral style. They didn't take offense. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so, so, so I'll give you an example. So, so the, the uh, yellow, the, the, the fun loving person is obviously Bart is, is, is obviously um, Homer Simpson, right? Homer is, is always about yahoo and have fun and whatever. Um, Marge Simpson, the, you know, his wife is about green. She's about relationships. She wants to build relationships with people and get to know them. Lisa Simpson is the blue because she's always reading books and quoting statistics and quoting data. Finding a red in that series, there were a few minor characters in the Simpsons who were red. But one of the ones that struck me was there was a mob boss, Tony, who appeared in a number of episodes. And, you know, he has the guns hanging off him and the big cigar. That, that to me, epitomized the red. And so I actually put up pictures of those four characters just to, just to highlight people that, that, that there are so many ways you can identify with the colors and identify people around you. Oh, that's awesome. And it's, it's kind of cool too. It's like, well, I'm a Lisa and it's like creating this alter ego for yourself that you can kind of cling to. Right. Yeah. And, and I speak at conferences and I get people to put colored stickers um, on their name badge. So I hand mm -hmm. out, you know, there's, there's a pile of colored stickers, red, yellow, green, and blue, and I get people to put it on their name badge. And so you see then, you know, you speak in the morning and you see them at lunchtime or dinner having these color conversations with people. And I mean, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's great for my ego, but it's also <laughs> great 
it, it's great for me to see what an impact the colors make and how people start using those colors and talking to people and going, oh, so you're a yellow. So what do you enjoy? What do you, you know, what fun things do you do? And those are the conversations. And it's really pretty cool to see that. I think I'm going to steal your idea. Do you mind? <laughs> no, we can, we, we can have a conversation afterwards, but I mean, we, we have all the IP and everything else around it. So, you know, we can, we can talk about how you use it. Yeah. Well, it's just, I have an assessment that I use myself and I do, um, you know, public speaking around it. And I love the idea of allowing people to self-identify. So I, I just thought that's yeah. something that I could probably use for myself. So, yeah, but I'm asking yeah. permission. <laughs> no problem. No problem at all. <laughs> so the, the leadership is one of those three critical components that I, that I work with companies on. And the, and the others, are obviously the culture and the strategy. And uh, once you get the leadership right, then, you know, it ties in with both of the others. No, and that makes that makes total sense. And I love that you that you lead with communication. Yeah, because it, it, it's key. I mean, look, I think all three components are critical. And and so we actually we have my own model, which is the three components: culture, leadership, and strategy, as three interconnected circles. And the central bit where they all overlap is what I call return on culture. If you if you're working with all three correctly, we actually have other tools, not only in our, in our color assessment tools, but we have other tools where we can actually measure culture and actually put a number on culture and put a number on leadership and, and then do some work with the organization and then measure it again to actually see the return that we're getting and the improvement. So we actually, and these are not engagement surveys. They're actually, um, much more detailed and look at a broader uh, aspect of the business, which is the non-financial measures. So businesses tend to rely on financial measures for everything, but financial measures only tell you what happened in the past. They don't give you an inkling of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. And I, I find it so interesting that the way that you approach it and simplify it and make it fun probably makes it a lot easier for you know different companies to actually maintain you know their employees actually are interested in it right so they yeah. actually probably continue to follow along and have those conversations and interact with each other as opposed to too often you go to something you learn it and then sure you have to do it because you're in the seminar and then you forget about it well that's so, so it's interesting what's changed in my life in COVID so pre-COVID 90% of what I did was um, keynotes. So I traveled the world doing keynote speeches and they would be anywhere from, you know, 40 minutes to 90 minutes. And I would have lunch with the people and then leave. And so you never really see long-term change. With COVID, I had to switch part of my own business model to longer-term programs. So we developed based on the, on the colors a four-month small business academy called the Excellence Academy, which we ran, you know, three or four times last year with groups of people. And at the end of it, I went, wow, I'm actually seeing real change in people. I'm actually seeing change in their businesses. And so as much as I love the adrenaline of being on a big stage, I really have got to love the small classroom, you know, 10 to 12 people, where you work with them for a period of three to four months and you get to the end of that and they've actually 
they've actually grown with you. And I think that's, that to me is one of the most rewarding things is that we've covered all those things about leadership and culture and strategy, but we've done it in a different way. We've done it over time. We've, we've masterminded it. We've networked. We've, but we, we've just seen real change. And to me, that was the most satisfying. Oh yeah, that's amazing. And I agree. Like too often, I think that doesn't stick when you're just seeing it for a very short period of time, especially if you're in a conference setting where you've got multiple speakers coming up, you know, there's just so much information to take in that it can only so much can stick. Right. So I love that you're doing it over a, a longer length of time and you actually get to see, like you say, the growth and how they've, they changed through that process. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and so everything I do now is based around, I do workshops and keynote speeches. And so the keynotes are there, but a lot of this work that comes out of the keynotes is longer term interventions with businesses. Oh, I love it. It's wonderful. So what about your book? Can you please share a little bit about your book? Sure. So I wrote, I, I started the book in 2015 I was asked to speak at a mortgage conference. So having built a mortgage business that had done at that stage, just under 3 billion in mortgages, um, I was asked to speak at a mortgage conference. And it was the first time I was asked to speak about how I built the mortgage business. And it was a breakout session at the national mortgage conference. I spoke and it went down so well. The next time it was two breakouts in back to back. And the next time I spoke, I had a full room with people falling out the doors and I went, wow, like, okay. So there is something in the story of what I did in the mortgage business and how I built it. And so I got on the plane that night back to Perth and put a, an Australian context because um, uh, traveling from Brisbane to Perth is traveling the equivalent distance from New York to LA. So it's a big way across the country. Um, and I sat there with my iPad, which is a terrible thing to type a book on because it's not tactile. And I wrote 2000 words on the way home. I was that motivated. I wrote the first 2000 words. And then I went, okay, every day, you know, three times a week, I got up at 530 in the morning and I wrote another few hundred words. And for about nine months, I'd written about 30,000 words. And then I read it from top to bottom and I went, mm, it's, no one's really going to be interested in the story. So I will just put it away. So I did that. And about two years later, 2017, I was working in South Africa. I was working with a company in South Africa. I was doing a, a, a seminar for the 150 staff and some training. And um, I, I was talking to a cousin of mine whose wife, had been in the book business for 25 years and had just started her own publishing business. And she said, oh, send me the book. And I did. And I was expecting her to say, no, it's not worth it. And she came back and said, it's great. Just write another five or 10,000 words and we can publish it. And so thereby started the journey. And that, that, that whole concept of not being true to myself and not believing in myself, you know, imposter syndrome, really struck hard in that period because I really felt no one wanted to hear my story. And eventually we published in May, 2018. It's called Dive In, Lessons Learned Since Business School, about 120 pages. And it is about the, the, the things I've done in my businesses. So I started my first business in South Africa in education, right place, right time, had 4,000 students over six campuses when we reverse listed it. 
I listed a, a venture fund on the Australian Stock Exchange, and then I grew my financial services business to where it is today. And so it's the stories of all the things I did as an entrepreneur without thinking too much. And you're, you're talking about the Ignited Entrepreneur podcast. It's about, it's about sometimes the, the, the philosophy on the back of the book says business is simple. Business is not complicated. Just dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. Yeah, I, I agree. I love to promote leaping, taking those chances and then figuring things out as you go. Right. I, I, so I love that that's what the back of your book says. <laughs> yeah. As a gift to your listeners, if anyone wants to pop along to railbricker.com slash free book, it doesn't come up on the menu. So you actually have to know the URL. It's railbricker.com slash free book. And they can actually download a free PDF version of the book. Amazing. I know that you sent a copy to me or you gave that to me a while ago. So um, I'm going to make sure that I dive in now that we've had this conversation and I know more about what it is and just from listening to you and hearing your success. Yeah. It's, it's a must read. <laughs> it, 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 as I said, you know, some of the stories go back to just how you market on a shoestring budget, you know, and, and, and today we're all obsessed and focused with, Google advertising and, and Facebook advertising and, and Insta advertising and now TikTok advertising. But the truth of it is that if you actually apply the same basic principles of marketing to the current digital world um, and the way we marketed our, our businesses on a shoestring and actually had quite good success, um, it changes your perspective on trying to compete with the large people with large budgets, because that's always what we did. We were always the, the small player using, our, you know, shooting from the hip and using our wits to market the business. <laughs> does that work? <laughs> well, it does. Um, but it's about niching. It's about, it's about you know, it, there, there are those gurus out there who tell you to stick in one lane. I'm not necessarily about changing lanes all the time, but I believe you also have to, be open to opportunity. So that's not chasing the next bright, shiny object. Because if you do that, you know, when you're stuck on the, on the, on the, on the highway and I've traveled on what's probably the worst road in North America, which is, you know, the 401 in Toronto and, you know, which is this permanent parking lot of cars and you see people jiggle between lane and lane and lane and lane. And eventually you catch up with them and pass them because you've stayed in your lane or you haven't been as aggressively changing lanes. I see a lot of entrepreneurs who like that. They go, oh, I'm doing this. It's not really working. I'll go to this and then I'll try this and I'll try this. They don't stick to anything long enough. I'm not saying you have to be wedded to your ideas, but you have to, as you said, you know, sometimes take the leap of faith and then adjust your course while you're moving. And you don't have to adjust your course 180 degrees. You can adjust your course 10 degrees and it might be more successful. Absolutely. I interviewed a gentleman on the show a while back and he was talking about one degree shifts. Yeah. And yeah, and it made a lot of sense. Like a lot of people, when I say leap, I don't necessarily mean like jump off of a cliff, like that kind of a leap. It's, it's making a decision and just like you say, leaning in, right? Or diving in. It's, it's being committed and just and committing to something to see how far you can take it and then adjusting as you go. Yeah, absolutely. Because, and, and, and sometimes it is just a tweak to it. You know, it is just a, yes, we're just going to adjust this part of our business and then it works better. Um, 
you know, we, we unfortunately in the Google era and Google and Siri and Alexa and, and, and whatever, we're all obsessed, particularly the younger generations with instant gratification and instant feedback. And so that drives a lot of entrepreneurial decisions, I think, the wrong way. They, they, they don't get the instant, you know, run Facebook ads for three days, don't get any response, go, oh, well, it's not working, let's change the strategy. Well, sometimes you have to give it a bit longer, you know, you have to, you, you, you know, even in the employment environment today, employees want to know at the end of each day, they want a pat on the back, whereas the six monthly performance review is not good enough anymore. And so somewhere between those two is where our world is going to end up. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I know even for myself, it's it. We're so used to that now with social media. Is how many likes did I get, and how many comments did I get, and and even for me, I, I'm checking my analytics on this podcast all the time and using that to gauge, you know, whether I did a good job or not. And so I'm learning to let go slowly, <laughs> but um, you know, just allow a different measure of success for me and, and just not worry so much about those external uh, rewards or gold stars and just enjoy the process, which has been a game changer for me, but it's still a slow process because I've still got, you know, those patterns I need to break, but. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the true measure, and I said financial measures don't tell you anything about the organization. They tell you a lot because it still tells you, you know, you have to have revenue or you have to have sales in order to make money, in order to pay the bills. And so ultimately there is a measure of why we do things, but sometimes we expect, you know, the, 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 the reward to come from a single action where it could come from multiple actions. Mm, yeah. That's good to, good to be aware of, right? It's not just, what am I getting from this and when can I have it and hand it over? And, you know, it's the only reason I'm doing anything. You know, I started the lemonade stand outside my house and 10 minutes later, no one's come by. So it's a terrible business model. Let's shut it down. Nobody likes lemonade, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So where, so you gave the link for the free book, but if somebody yep. was interested in say your excellence Academy or any of the other programs that you're offering, or now that I don't know, here in North America, we're starting to open up again. So I don't know if that means that you'll be coming this way to do any speaking engagements. As, as soon as I can have my second vaccination, which is in a month, and then Australia decides to open Fortress Australia up, um, which has worked really well in containing COVID, like we haven't had huge outbreaks, but it's time to start opening up, um, you know, Fortress Australia and actually allowing us to live with COVID and not try and kill COVID. And, and I think that they've killed it sufficiently to now start living with it. And yes, as soon as I can, I want to be back on the road and speaking and engaging with people and, and doing all that. But on my website, railbricker.com, there is a tab there called work with rail, work with me. And it gives you information on um, the success Academy, my online programs, um, my Excellence Academy, and a number of the keynotes and workshops that I do, and a lot of the tools, the profiling tools that I use, and I on-sell. So, you know, a lot of coaches and consultants buy the tools from me, but I also use them in my work as a mentor and coach and speaker. 
Awesome. So I noticed on there that you had spoken in Whistler, which is yep. a couple of hours away from me. So if that, that ever happens again, please let me know because I would love to come and uh, and hear you in person because um, I just even just through our, our conversation today, I would love to see you on stage. I think you would be an amazing uh, to watch on stage. I think that I get the impression that that's your happy place and where you're most at home. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I love it. I, you know, the adrenaline goes high and, um, but it's just a fantastic environment and, and it's fantastic to, to, at the end of the day, get the interactions from people. Yes. I, I spoke in Whistler in 2017. It was a while back now as Toronto I was in 2019, um, and so I did a lot of speaking around North America in 2019. So, yeah, have a lot of fun on that. And I look forward to 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 not meeting on Zoom, but meeting face-to-face with people again uh, when the world opens up properly. Oh, absolutely. Me too. As much as Zoom has been an absolute blessing through this, I'm done with it. <laughs> We're Zoom. Well, so yesterday was the end of the financial year in Australia. I think it's still the end of the financial year for you because it's the but, but it was the um, end of the financial year. And um, I decided on the spur of the moment at about lunchtime that I would have a Zoom drinks with my staff because we were all in lockdown. And so I went and I, I looked up one of the um, online um, bottle stores um, and I got a bottle of gin and four bottles of tonic water delivered to every one of my staff by four o'clock yesterday afternoon. And um, then we had Zoom drinks at five o'clock and everyone had been delivered a bottle of their favorite gin and including with the two people who don't drink alcohol with non-alcoholic gin. Um, And so we had a nice two hour conversation over a few gins last night. So that was pretty cool. That's an amazing idea. And I love that you surprised them with it. (laughs) Yeah, well, and the problem I didn't realize was that when I ordered it, I had to put their mobile number on in case, you know, they had to get hold of someone or whatever. And so they all started getting these text messages from the couriers saying, we're on the way with your with your alcohol delivery. And they were going, I didn't order alcohol. Like, you know, so it, it was a bit of a shock and a surprise for some of them, but it was it really worked out well. Instantly, I thought of, uh, you know, a woman sitting in a bar having a man send her a drink and her going, I didn't order this. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I had sent them the Zoom link earlier in the day that said, bring your own drinks and, and you know, meet at five o'clock this afternoon for a, for, 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 for a chat. And part of it is as a leader, because we happen to be in lockdown right now, um, I just wanted to see everyone's faces. I wanted to see what they were reacting like. I wanted to, I wanted to hear them when they weren't phoning me about work issues. They were, they were talking socially. I wanted to hear how they were coping. Oh, that's awesome. Well, sounds like a good leadership strategy to me. Thank you. Okay, so before I let you go, I have to ask all my guests this one last question. If yep. you could give somebody who's ready to take their business to the next level one piece of advice, what would you suggest? Um, can I, I'm going to answer it in two parts because there's two pieces. The one is if they have staff, if, they, if they're a solopreneur, just to dive in and adjust your course while you're moving. That's the simplest and best piece of advice is if they're ready to do it, just dive in and take the plunge and know that, that you know what, it, it's going to work because you're committed to making it work. 
if they have staff, I would add to that, never ask staff to ever do anything that you wouldn't do. And that's one of the, the things that one of the, the chapters in my book as well. It's about, it's about, you can always employ staff to do the things you don't want to do, but never give them tasks to do that you wouldn't do. And I think that's the, the best piece of advice for, for entrepreneurs. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rail. I know that we're on different time zones and it's it's just we've tried to connect a few times and we've done a few missed opportunities. So I really appreciate that you stuck around and added so much value for my audience today. It's a pleasure and thank you very much. And I look forward to to meeting lots of people face to face when when we can travel again. Oh, me too. Thank you. Thank you.